What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, and I'm pretty excited today because we're going to be talking about a team that, uh, man, a lot has happened in this past year for them, and a lot is going to be happening in the next year as well. Uh, we're going to be talking the New Orleans Pelicans today with Ollie Cosell and. Uh, yeah, man. So, okay. First of all, let me just give Ollie his his due here. He is the site manager and an author for the Bird Rights. It's a great uh, Pelicans blog for the SB Nation Network. And and how are you doing today, Ollie? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And usually, how we start is reflecting on last season. And I think obviously the headliner for the Pelicans was the end of this whole AD saga and all the drama that surrounded it. And is it safe to say that you're glad for that to be over and done with at this point? <laughs> yes, we're ready for it to be over. First week into the Anthony Davis crazy request. I mean, you go from making the playoffs, sweeping the Portland Trailblazers to you know, all these high hopes of entering the season. You start the season 4-0. Everything looks great, spectacular. People are coming from out. The Pelicans are going to be one of the top four, five, six teams out west. And suddenly it just spirals down. And, and it just spirals pretty much the entire season, right? So the Pelicans, you know, they, they had that dive bomb, uh, where then they lost a bunch of games. That's injuries hit. When injuries hit certain teams, usually New Orleans, they, they can't handle them. because they've never had the good depth on their team. So they hear it and you could just see kind of, you know, the team coming apart. And I heard rumors about Anthony Davis kind of becoming withdrawn. So when the trade request was announced, there was a lot of us that followed the team day to day, you know, the beat writers and stuff. We weren't all that surprised. We were just surprised by the way it came out. You know, it took everybody by surprise. Because he kept on changing his story. And then he didn't want to talk to the media at first. First, the quality was answering questions once the trade request came out. Then Alvin Gentry, it took, it took Anthony Davis about three, four days to step in front of the cameras and answer questions on what, you know, he had started. So, anyways, I don't really want to go back and crack that egg open because we lived it, we all suffered it. And, you know, basically, guys, it was looking like the Falcons had no future. Honestly, things were being written about, okay, Anthony Davis going to get traded. Drew Holiday, the rest of the guys going to want out. So, New Orleans going to have to start from the bottom, rebuild your draft, and who knows how long, you know, any of those things take. Sometimes teams never get out of the hole. So, to suddenly go from that kind of perspective and then to see what has unfolded this summer, this offseason, where, you know, Gail Benson's ownership, hats off to her. They knew that they didn't put in all the resources that they could have or maybe should have, especially when this Anthony Davis kind of saga blew up in their faces. They're like, okay. So they fired Del Demps, but then when the summer hit, they immediately brought in the best candidate available, and that was David Griffin. And since then, the team has just been hitting home runs. Right, they hired Aaron Nelson away from the Phoenix Suns, that famed athletic trainer, and that's something that more desperately needs is getting healthier because they're perennially guys in the top or in the bottom ten in terms of the amount of injuries and to the key guys. So you can't really win games in the NBA anymore if you don't have a healthy roster year and you're out. So they hired Aaron Nelson, then they were of course able to add some other guys in the front office like Swin Cash and Trajan Langdon to another outstanding hire. So that kind of morphed into this snowball that was rolling downhill and the fives were feeling good and lo and behold, they win the draft, right? The draft lottery, walk away with Zion. So it's just been incredible to go from there to now where we are. And I'm sure you guys have more questions, but not only was it the draft at home, but I feel like the, uh, the free agency 
where they were able to trade for Derek Favors, sign J.J. Reddick. You know, those two of the biggest names that we've ever had come into New Orleans. I mean, before that, we were trying to really think about the biggest names that ever signed the free agency, and it's really tough, right? You have to usually trade for just mediocre talent in New Orleans, like Peyton Stoyakovic at the end of his career. Uh, we got Tyson Chandler for a couple of good years. But other than that, it's really been slim picking. So it's been a heck of a summer. So you go from, it, it's really, you know, a 180 for this organization to where it looks like God knows how they're going to be sitting in this hole in the NBA cellar for how many years to suddenly they're one of the best, most exciting teams and everybody can't wait to watch them play this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you say hitting home runs and that feels absolutely correct. Everything seems to have broken right for the Pelicans uh, in the the past six months or so when it felt like everything broke wrong in the six months preceding that uh, 180 has, it's, it's honestly been, it's been, I mean, I think it's probably the most exciting team uh, to be, to have covered of this last year. So uh, it must've been a, a roller coaster for you, but um, you mentioned a lot of stuff and we are going to try to unpack it uh, throughout this episode, but with your permission, I want to go back a little bit to the Anthony Davis stuff. You said you didn't want to unpack it too much, but I, I got to ask because because you guys over there in New Orleans kind of had to sit with this for several months. You know, was it, how hard was it to know that a franchise player uh, wanted out? And then how hard was it to, to kind of sit with that and see the, the trade deadline pass by? And to see, you know, just there was so much up in the air to the point where I read, you know, speculation that, oh, well, maybe the team needs to move out of New Orleans to get a fresh start uh, to make it a a profitable franchise or a franchise that's going to have a bright future. And and again, all that is maybe it's it's easier to discuss now that we know that that darkest timeline isn't going to occur. But but how was that experience for you? Yeah, so we never had a fear that the franchise would leave anytime soon. They've got a lease that's signed through 2024 with the city, so obviously they're tied to uh, stay in New Orleans at least until then. So there's never any fight what you may have heard out there, and I even saw some national people writing about that, like, this is the end of basketball in New Orleans. Well, that wasn't necessarily true, but it was just looking like a black hole. So, yeah, with the Anthony Davis thing, that, that was the weirdest thing. We None of us wanted to see the Pelicans agree to a trade before the deadline. Because we all knew that really the Lakers were the only players that the Boston Celtics couldn't throw in their bid. And obviously there were a lot of other teams that would have been in better position had they would just wait for the summer. So you want to tell them to wait. And once we got past that, everybody starts feeling a little bit better. But then, of course, the Anthony Davis, um, he'll play this game, but this is the next game. Suddenly that, you know, kind of took over the rest of the seasons where they wanted to really limit his minutes because they didn't want to have him uh, suffer any kind of injury that might affect the trade. But at the same time, you know, the NBA was forcing them to play this guy, which, like I said, we were hoping that the team would fight them because the fans didn't want to see him play anymore. He had already announced, look, I want to be traded. Then, you know, a couple days later, he's at the NBA All-Star Weekend talking about, I want, I'm a free agent or whatever to, like, 29 other teams. So, first of all, he's not even a free agent. But then he's singling out that the Cousins is the only team he doesn't want to play for in the league, right? All the other 2019, regardless of their record, they'll go play for it. So it was just, you know, people had just tired. They were ready to move on. And the NBA forced Anthony Davis upon them. So we were always kind of on pins and needles. And then for the media, it was really like a charade. There was really nothing of substance that you could go up and talk to him about. And he didn't want to give the answer standing because obviously this basketball, he's playing 20 minutes a night every other game for the most part. So that, that he's hurting his staff. He's not really helping the team win. So he's got that angle. And then, of course, for us, what are we going to ask him how he feels? I mean, you, you know, so it was like just like that for the remainder of the schedule. However many games that was, like, I don't even remember now. And, of course, you know, the team was struggling. And that's the other thing. So we kind of just had nothing else to look forward to. But they went on a nice little streak before Drew Holiday things were shut down where we got a good look at the young guy what they could do. And there was a couple of really good upsets. I mean, my favorite memory is uh, the Oklahoma City game, last game right before the All-Star break. Nancy, that's the game where Anthony Davis, if you guys don't remember, left at halftime without really telling anybody. Um, they was leaving the arena because I forget what he had heard exactly. 
maybe it was his shoulder, his elbow, one of the things where he said he claimed he's going to go get an MRI, but he basically didn't tell anybody. And that's not the procedure. That wasn't a typical procedure. That's how he handled. So he left the arena with Rich Paul. The team, despite him leaving, came back, beat Oklahoma City Thunder. It was a really great game where Drew Holiday led a bunch of young guys to that victory, right? So everybody, like I said, was ready to move on. That was like a really good, you know, thing to indicate, hey, let's get the young guys playing. Anthony Davis, let's just keep them healthy and get them traded away. So, like I said, had to live through another two months of him being forced to play. Um, so that that was just, that's why I said I don't really want to crack that egg open because nobody wanted to watch it, talk about it, fans, you know, we're ready to move on. So we were just ho- hoping for a good haul, right? And we know what transpired this summer, you know. Boston Celtics kind of pulled back because they lost Kyrie Irving, but that kind of eliminated them. From, I had heard that maybe Jalen Brown could still be had, but that the Pelicans also wanted, or excuse me, Jalen Brown, but um, they wanted Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, in addition to Tatum, right? So the Celtics were only willing to give up once. That's kind of the offers that were going around the league. And the Lakers were on the ones that kind of ponied up. So when that happened, we weren't too excited at first. But then obviously when you look back at it, all the draft picks that came back, all the protections that the Pelicans can flip to take a better draft pick, whether it's the Lakers or the uh, Pelicans down the road. So they basically mined the whole Lakers organization for the future of all of their good young talent, as well as taking a chance on three young, decent players, you know, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart. So like I said, as soon as that hit and that trade happened, things really started, you know, you start feeling better about what was happening. And of course, like I said, Zion happened and three eight happened. And that just got the ball, ball rolling. So that's why nobody even really talks about AD anymore, guys. It was just such a bad time. And uh, it was a real slap to the face of the city. I mean, they, they, we had gone through Chris Paul and we thought this guy was going to be the savior. And he did. He carried the team to a couple of really good playoff trips. And he unfortunately was that was very bad on. George Shin was the owner at the time. He's very cheap. And once he tried to trade away uh, Tyson Chandler, that was it. Chris Paul never wanted to play New Orleans was born. So Chris Paul left, but then we thought Anthony Davis right, would be this new start. And this kid always, he, he's a good kid. That's one thing I, we all like about Anthony Davis. He seems to be a good kid, but he's easily manipulated. So that means whether LeBron's and Rich Paul, his family, his dad's a very big kind of force in his life. So you kind of felt Anthony Davis, but then again, at the same time you did, you kind of just want somebody to own up. New Orleans needs a face, a basketball face. The Saints are the rock stars of the city. Everybody knows that. The Pelicans will never surpass, but you still want the team to have an identity to kind of get the city excited. And it just didn't happen with AD outside of that brief playoff run I had just mentioned earlier. So that's why, guys, it's just like AD, yeah, he's a great player. We kind of wish him the best in LA, but we're so happy to be moving on. And the Pelicans are stacked, you know, both in terms of the roster as well as down the road because of the, the fact that they were able to trade them for a lot of good assets. Yeah, and I want to kind of dive into the haul that you got for AD. And correct me if I miss anything, there was a lot to it, but you have Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. You got the fourth overall pick, a 2021 Laker first that's top eight protected and then becomes unprotected the year after. There's a pick swap in 2023. And then another unprotected first in 2024. Does it feel like there's a centerpiece to this or it's just, you know, the sum of all these parts? Is there a certain player that excites you most out of this get? Can I say both? (laughs) Because honestly, Lonzo Ball is something that franchises still think that can be kind of a good centerpiece for teams. And I know Alvin Gentry is very high on Lonzo. Even in the middle of last year, we're kind of talking to them behind the scenes of, you know, we had, lo- we had lost Rajon Rondo, right? The pre- prior offseason. We saw how he made that offense flow. So Alvin Gentry's offenses typically need that type of point guard. And with Drew Holiday wanting to move off the ball, play more shooting guard and only handle the ball in key situations or just pick and choose, uh, the Pelicans really didn't have anybody next to him. You know, Alfred Payton, there's some hope that he could maybe get his career going, but you know, injuries saddled him. And he was never able to turn around. So I know that, like I said, Alvin Gentry's always been a big fan of Lonzo and the fact that his offenses dictate you got to have somebody that can push the pace, find a lot of your talented guys, uh, for easy baskets. And that, that's just the key. So Lonzo with his defense and that, like I said, that four general ability, 
he seems to be the, you know, the key to that trade. Um, Brandon Ingram, you know, the guy still exposes a limit for him. Suppose he can still be a good two way player. I know David Griffin has been very high on Brandon Ingram, similar to the way Alvin Gentry has always felt about Lonzo Ball. So they're two, you know, I mean, let's face it, they're, they're what, both like 21 years old. So their time has not passed yet. You know, there's, there are a lot of rookies that came into the league this, uh, this past draft where they were 21 years old. So their, their world is still their oyster. So it's just going to be whether they can still blossom now. That's going to be the key. Can Lonzo develop any kind of a jump or find some confidence? You know, taking as a hoop and of course knocking down free throws. I mean, for a point guard to shoot under 50%, guys, I don't need to tell you that. That's just, you, you can't have that guy down, uh, um, out there on the court in crunch time. That's where Brandon Ingram, right? You're not worried about his clock. Can he overcome that? And then of course, can he become that kind of two-way player? Cause you know, he kind of was very isolated, became isolation heavy playing that LA system before and after LeBron. So we're going to find out what those guys are about. But also, as you mentioned, that pick. That pick from the Lakers turned into, when they uh, traded that away to Atlanta, turned into Nikhil Alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes. Um, and we saw what they did this summer, right, with a couple of their highlights. Jackson Hayes probably had the most memorable dunk I've ever seen in the summer league. And Nikhil Alexander Walker, for 6'6", he showed he can probably play point guard in this league. Uh, he, he was basically, after that first game, uh, running the offense for him. And so, you know, being, what was that? There were picks number eight and 17. They also add science to the mix. I mean, it looks like the Pelicans walked away with one heck of a core that might develop and may be around, excited to watch for at least the next five years or so, six years. So yeah, it's a lot of excitement to see what came back in the end, but it's hard to pinpoint just one center, exact centerpiece. So there's a lot of parts to be excited about, depending on who you ask. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you that these guys are really exciting. That Jackson Hayes dunk was something to behold. I I, I have never seen something so vicious. Certainly not in summer league. Uh, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the group of players from the Lakers. I think that as Sacramento, the Sacramento-based podcast, Kings fans listen to this show. I think that there's a bias against even former Lakers, like current Lakers, to be <laughs> sure but even former Lakers. And that's definitely the case with Lonzo Ball, uh, especially with the whole De'Aaron Fox rivalry, the guards coming mm-hmm. to the top five yards there. But uh, I, I would push back on that a little bit to anyone listening. And and listen, these guys are, are all quality prospects, very quality pro- prospects. Josh Hart was a summer league MVP himself, kind of an afterthought mm-hmm. in that trade, the way that most people talk about it, but uh, absolutely high on these guys. And then, you know, all that is is just one transaction, and it's not to mention at all. We haven't even talked about Zion, uh, and obviously he wasn't a part of that trade. But I wonder. This is kind of an odd question, but I wonder if you could, if I could travel back in time and and tell you a year ago, listen, man, you're gonna lose AD, but you're gonna get Zion. Is that a net win? Just that alone. a great question because if I don't know the surrounding you know what the franchise has to go through and they did they needed a clean house they needed to basically revamp everything from you know the general manager on down through the organization to where you can build a quality franchise where that trust is built like David Griffin talked about building a family because although Dell Dempsey was kind of regarded decently among NBA circles he was still so removed from the, the, the social aspect you never saw him talking uh, he never, you know, offered his ideas. And I heard he had a closed circle in that front office to where he really only shared his ideas with a handful of people. And that's not how David Griffin, that's not, it seems like a lot of these NBA franchises that are successful nowadays operate. So all that need to go away. But that said, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's hard to say yes. Um, unless you were assuring me, of course, that we were going to get a Zion, right? You lose AD but get Zion. Well, that means, hey, you're getting seven years of what everybody's saying is going to be the best prospect since LeBron James. And yeah, I think a lot of us can live with that because there was never any certainty Anthony Davis was ever going to say. I mean, I have heard, you know, over the summer, like I said, there's a lot of things that haven't been written, but I heard that Anthony Davis wanted to go and join up with Rich Paul and his, um, clutch sports last year, you know, right after the playoff, uh, roughly into somewhere around that time. 
or maybe it was even during the season. I can't remember now which, but either way, I heard Pelicans kind of dissuaded him from doing that. But of course, then he ended up doing that later in the summer anyway. So you could sense that AD was kind of preparing on leaving. So yeah, I guess in hindsight, I would definitely take that deal. You meet Zion, say goodbye to AD a year ago. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, and he's probably the best prospect since Anthony Davis, funnily. I'm curious what you think about the best way to utilize Zion is. I remember seeing someone say uh, in just the limited amount of summer league minutes that he had, it's like, Oh, crazy. When you put Zion as the role man in a pick and roll, he's almost unstoppable. And it feels like a Lonzo Zion pick and roll is going to be crazy with him rolling to the rim. But you also want some spacing around him as well, I would assume. Where do you feel like the best way to utilize Zion is? Is it as a four and a roll man? I think it's a four is kind of a point forward man. So where you're going to have him have basically, you know, the offense is going to have a whole bunch of looks. Where you're right, he can set that screen at the top of the key and just play as a role man, maybe even a pop guy eventually once he gets that jumper down. But more so than not, you kind of want the ball in his hands because if you watch him at Duke, I mean, this kid has so much untapped potential that he flashed where he made some of his passes to where he don't not only execute the pass, but he showed us that vision, uh, the ability when it came down to clutch time to, I hate, I need to score to where he, he got the job done. So, there's a lot of things he can do that I don't think we even know about yet. So I would rather the Pelicans not pigeonhole him in any kind of role. Um, I know maybe to get the season going, right? You, you're jumping from one year of college, not even a full college season for him, but you're going from that to the NBA against the best of the best. You may not want to put everything on his plate. And it sure sounds like the Pelicans are being mindful of that fact. But regardless, you still don't want to limit him. I think that's the biggest key. So, yeah. Maybe at the start of games, right? Just have him be a role man. Let him do what he does, whether it's go hunt offensive rebounds, go for steals, because he seems to have a heck of a nose for the ball, too. So don't restrict any of that. Let him go. And then eventually, once his confidence starts getting up, or hey, he even just asks for the ball, let him maybe dictate some of that offense as well. So starting off, yeah, point forward, as you just mentioned, get him in some easy baskets, because we saw this summer league, right? He was running some pick and rolls with Kenrich Williams, and boy, it resulted in just like three dunks or something like that. And they've got him fired up to where he had that strip of knocks against the Knicks and that big roar and dunk. And unfortunately, that was like his last highlight of summer league, but it's one that everybody won't forget either until the regular season. So, yeah, you just don't want to cap him. You just want to let Zion go. But as I said, the coaching staff is probably going to be kind of, you know, not throwing him off the deep end or anything like that. Yeah, I it, it is wild to think about the comparisons that are thrown around on Zion uh, as that point forward type of guy that that true 99th percentile athlete uh, that like truly truly uh, you know only only Giannis and LeBron are really the names that come to mind for a guy that is just athletically head and shoulders above any of his peers. Uh, but then I guess the question comes with the jump shot for that applies to Giannis and LeBron never really got to become a, an elite outside shooter. Uh, and that certainly seems like the question mark for Zion, although no one is really concerned about it slowing him down, you know, at the beginning, it's more of like, if he ever does develop an elite jump shot, then, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, but I guess that, that plays into the the pairings that you might want to put with him in the front court. And I've heard some questions about Jackson Hayes being the right guy because he doesn't have uh, any stretch himself uh, at the five. I've, I've heard we actually discussed on a recent podcast the trade idea that's been thrown around of uh, like Jackson Hayes and Drew Holiday for Miles Turner or someone like someone like that who could protect the rim at an elite level and stretch the floor. But 
how do you feel about how this group fits together? I, I guess it's one of those things where like, hey, we got so much talent. Maybe we're not so much worried about any fit and we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, or, or do you have any concerns at all? The only concerns I have is honestly if they're going to have enough perimeter shooting out there with the starting lineup, which is projected to be Lonzo Ball point, Drew Holiday at shooting guard, Brandon Ingram at the three, Zion at the four, and Derek Favors at the five. You know, this group, and even David Griffin has admitted that they're going to be stellar or they hope to be defensively, right? It's going to be one of those where it's first to 95 wins type of thing is a phrase that he exactly used. And so they're going to be able to do that. Of course, they're going to be able to run, uh, get a lot of baskets just based off of athleticism alone. But again, we all know that those those NBA games are got to shoot the ball. you got to shoot a deep-point thing. They're standing game against a hot team. Or obviously, when games matter, especially in the playoffs, you know, you got to be able to execute and be able to score from you really all over the court. So that's what you worry about in that starting line. But in general, and, you know, the Pelicans have lost a big guy that's going to help spread the board today who uh, is Darius Miller. You know, he underwent a killing injury uh, to get his uh, ruptured tendon repaired. So that's going to be a big loss. Fortunately, they still have, of course, one of the best gravity spacers out there in J.J. Redick. I honestly, I still can't believe that he's likely to come to New Orleans over a lot of these other teams that wanted him, right? Because uh, New Orleans is far from guaranteed of making a playoff, but he really likes the situation of coming here. So you got to think he's going to play a lot. He's going to be guaranteed at least about 30 minutes a game. And like I said, he's going to be there on the crunch bank. Somebody's got to be out there spacing the floor, so there's few better than Redick. But outside of him, you know, the Pelicans have still each one more. He's kind of an underrated player across the league. People really don't know about him until he, you know your team goes up against him and he throws down 20, 25 points and Nate, Nate was it makes about four or five threes in your face and helps you know the Pelicans win. So he's still going to be back. And then the biggest unknown outside, of course, Josh Hartson knocked down a jumper from the outside. A guy named Nicolo Melli. He's a uh, he's a Trajan Langdon kind of pickup where they signed him out of Italy uh, in three eight. He's a little bit older. Can't remember exactly. He's either 28 or 29, but he's been a Euro player for a long time. There's a lot of NBA teams that think he can be kind of a difference maker in terms of where he can space the floor a little bit, he can get some rebounds, and he brings that kind of Marcus Saul savviness where, you know, he just knows where to be on the court at all times, make the right pass, just stuff like that, that he's going to be able to help an NBA team. So I'm really interested to see how he's going to pan out. But really, outside of, like I said, Redick, Moore, and Hart, uh, Melly was a great three point shooter, average over about 40% over three. But outside of those four guys, Pelicans have no shooting. So, like I said, that's what you're kind of worried about. But, you know, this NBA, as we've seen, it really is get the ball up in like eight seconds, nine seconds, and shoot the first good shot. Normally, you don't have to run a full offense. So, the Pelicans are going to be able to do that. You know, you're going to have a ball out there, holiday pushing the face. We know what Zion can do in open court. We've seen Jackson Hayes, of course. And, you know, Derek Favors. You know, he still moves pretty well. There's a lot of centers that he can still give an issue or get some problems too with him in the pick and roll when he's rolling part of it or crashing offensive glass. So the team looks exciting. You're not too worried about it. But you're right, guys. It, it's just going to be interesting to see how they're going to come together. you got some vets, as we've talked about, but also a lot of rookies and a lot of young guys as well. Like, a, like you said, Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, who haven't really found their place, but now that they're away from L.A., they may be able now to shine a little brighter. Now they're, you know, unencumbered. They're going to have to deal with those lights, no LeBron, you know, not having to serve second, third fiddle. But it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. The talent seems to be there. The depth is there. But can it come together and become a winning product, especially in this first year? Nobody knows. Yeah, and I want to touch on that spacing a little bit, mainly from the small forward position. You mentioned Darius Miller going down. Uh, that definitely was a big loss. When I saw that today, it's instantly, you know, one of those 3 and D guys that is low usage felt like he would fit well around these guys that likes the ball in their hand. Um, and just to point out a stat here, last year, Darius Miller had 250 plus possessions of catch and shoot at about 40%. And Brandon Ingram, who I'm assuming is going to be your starting three here, is 30% off catch and shoots in a little less than 100%. 100 attempts, but he's 41% off the dribble. So how do you feel like Brandon Ingram fits in here as another guy that really needs the ball in his hands? I mean, he showed a lot of potential, 
but that really is how it feels like he needs to play. And it's the same thing, like we mentioned, with Zion, you want the ball in his hands. Lonzo's best with the ball in his hands. So how do you manage only having one ball on the floor? Yeah, I mean, that's, of course, the key, right? You know that Lonzo can kind of operate without the ball at times because the Lakers put him in that position when LeBron was handling it for Rondo. So they were sending Rondo to stay in the corner, which doesn't make much sense for a guy that can't shoot. But you're right. Ingram's going to be the interesting one. Um, can he, uh, is he willing, first of all, to sacrifice a lot of his long touches and ISO play in terms of the benefit of the team to move the ball around quickly? And of course, uh, just, just fill a role, whatever role that may be on offense, because he's not likely going to be the number one option. I mean, this is Drew Holiday's team. And then you've got, I think, Zion, you know, he's going to eventually snatch that uh, mantle from Holiday. So where does that put guys like Lonzo and Ingram? Well, Lonzo's not the score, so you don't worry about him too much, but Ingram, that's going to be the real interesting question to answer, because also, guys, he's entering the last year, I think, of his contract. Um, to where, you know, the Pelicans got to make a decision on him and he's got to make a decision on where he wants to play as well. So, I mean, you just ride him until the trade deadline. If you think it's not working, do you move him? Otherwise you lose him this summer or you just hope and ride it out that it works out. He still finds his role. So yeah, there's so many questions. I personally think that Ingram's going to be fine. Everybody I've talked to, I mean, he, he was just starting to shine right before that injury knocked him out for the rest of last year. And that's when the Lakers were without LeBron. I mean, he was averaging what? I forget. It was like 25, 28 points a game. He was even averaging like four assists. He was looking really good out there. So if he can kind of show that, but in terms of like a team type of environment, the way he's not just holding the ball for six, eight seconds, then yeah, that's going to be a heck heck of an addition to this team. And uh, if they win enough, and if Ingram's happy with it as well, then yeah, I could see it working. But like I said, there's so many questions. There's so many ifs, right? I know that you guys have gone through the same thing before you started winning some games, like when you didn't know what to expect out of Heald, out of Fox, out of all really your young guys. But we kind of saw what happened with the Kings, how they re- it really started coming together last year. So that's why I think the Pelicans are hoping is it's trying to hope that we can meld some of this young talent where it's going to come together and start playing well and producing wins. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that you just, obviously it's just way, way, way too soon to know uh, a lot of mysteries to unwrap here, and it's going to be a lot of fun to cover it. But one thing we'd like to do with each of our guests is try to have them identify players that uh, can take a step forward or a step back. And we try to exclude rookies. So that's going to take about half the the roster off mm-hmm. the table here. But uh, trying to look for a guy that might take the biggest step forward. I guess you're kind of relegated to the guys that are coming over from the Lakers, or if you feel that favors or Redick, uh, one of these types of guys, or, you know, even Frank Jackson, who we haven't mentioned, but played well uh, in a limited time in summer league. Uh, if you had to pick one guy who's going to improve on his season last year, who would that be? I think Derek favors is going to open eyes guys. I mean, once Rudy Gobert showed up there, uh, favors kind of became, you know, an afterthought both in terms of, you know, Quinn's rotations and the amount of minutes he played. I mean, just just three years ago, he was averaging about 16 and 8. He had a couple of seasons of those in Utah, and he was only 23, 24 years old at the time. And then suddenly the last three years, both with Gobert, a little bit of injury issues, and just two big men not being able to play together. Like I said, it really knocked him down a peck. But, you know, he's only 27 years old, and I feel like he really knows his role in this NBA, and he's going to be given a lot of minutes. So by, you know, process of elimination, right, suddenly you're going to give a guy that was averaging, what was it, about 23, 24 minutes a game last year. Uh, suddenly you're going to bump him back up to 32, 33. I think he's going to be in the running for most improved just because of that stat line, how much better and brighter it's going to look than last year. Even though it's a minutes thing or role thing, the fact that I think he's always had this ability, I think now that simply he's going to be able to show it for such a long time on a court, that's why I'm kind of picking it. It's kind of an easy one, but I think I'm picking for him to have kind of that biggest breakout. Um, you know, Drew Holiday is already kind of maxed out. We know what he's all about. He really just needs to get a little bit better on knocking down that deep ball three-point shot. And, of course, you know, you can either say Lonzo or Brandon, but I think Brandon was coming into his own. He's not going to have quite the same role. Because, like I said, this is a pretty deep team. You've got Drew's, Zion, you know, favors J.J. Redick. Ingram's not going to be able to, you know, 
become a Carmelo Anthony type or whoever he wants to possibly be and get as many shots as he wants. It's not going to be like that. So you just don't think it's going to be him. And, of course, Lonzo, how much can a guy that doesn't like to shoot the ball really improve uh, in terms of where it's noticeable around the league? Because, uh, you know, people use stats a lot. Uh, the eye test is great. You, you can do a lot defensively and still make those snazzy passes. But we know that that's, he can already do that, right? So it's going to be just about adding a shot. It's awfully hard to improve when you can't even make 50% of your free throws. Just only being a good deep permanent so I don't like his odds either. And of course, J.J. Redick, he's getting up there in age. His minutes are going to have to be monitored a little bit. So, yeah, guys, I think it's clear-cut. It's got to be Derek Favors taking the biggest step forward. Yeah, I could see it. He's going to have a big role. I'm curious what you think of the idea of Kenrich Williams taking a bigger step and mainly just having more opportunity. I think we saw that towards the end of last year. Uh, Post-All-Star break, he was getting almost 30 minutes per game. And I think Darius Miller going down really gives him a role. Does it feel like he has an opportunity here to kind of be the backup three? Yeah, I think he suddenly does. Uh, the one thing you wonder about is, I don't know if you guys know, but Alvin Gentry a couple of years ago uh, started really relying on Econ Moore as his starting small forward, despite the fact he's only six foot four, right? They were trotting out a point guard, Drew Hall, and Etwan Moore, often uh, one through three. And so I could really see Etwan kind of filling, kind of back in that role, simply because the Pelicans have a lot of small guys. They don't have a lot of those long Brandon Ingram types. As you mentioned, Darius Miller went down. So, if it's not going to be each one more, maybe the organization feels that each one's coming in his last season, that he may be moving on. Therefore, then you kind of want to maybe give Kenner's opportunity. I know that they love him. Guys, there's few players, and I've been watching the league since Jordan, you know, pretty much entered the league. So I've been watching for a long time, and there's few that have a motor that Kenner says, this guy just doesn't stop. He never complains. And if you just watch him on like any long Pelicans possessions where there's a couple offensive rebounds, how much he just moves, how much he runs, how much he contributes, by doesn't filling up on the stat line, how much he contributes to winning. And I know that that's a real big thing here in New Orleans. So Drew Holiday kind of is the face of the franchise in terms of that really hustle, go all out type of play. But Kenrich also brings that to the table. So everybody's rooting for him. And really, it's going to come down to one thing with him. And that's being aggressive enough and being able to make enough to three point shots. Because even in summer league, he wasn't really hitting that outside shot. And he really, that shot wasn't there last year either. So he's got to prove he can make that shot and be a threat. Because we've lived through the days of Solomon Hill on the wing, all these non scores like Dante Cunningham. So I know we're ready for somebody that can be a little more aggressive, at least pose a threat. So if Kenish can do that, then yeah, I like his odds of getting minutes. But if not, I could see Alvin just resorting back to going a little bit smaller. And given that role to maybe each one more, maybe even Josh Hart. I bet you we'll see some Josh Hart playing small forward as well this year. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter We'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse. And we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it. And and thank you very much for listening. So how about the flip side of that question? If we're looking for candidates uh, to regress, um, I'll probably mention J.J. Redick here simply because he is 35 years old, but at the same time, he had a career high in minutes last season and a career high in points. Uh, you know, He's got the type of game that just ages really well. Uh, but if you had to identify someone on this team that is going to fall off a little bit, who would that be? Well, I would say Tuan Moore just because he's, 
I just don't foresee him getting over 30 minutes, even close to it, even despite the Darius Miller injury. So I think he's going to go from being what, you know, as a starter. And if you guys may remember last year, I mean, people are even writing articles about him. There's a game up against the Toronto Raptors where I forget who's it. It's Blake, I think Murphy covers the Raptors for the Athletic. Decided to write an article on each one more in his floater game and how impressive it is in terms of adding that to his, you know, a depth three point shot. Because he single handedly had a lot of 30 point games. The one of them came against Toronto, to which helped the Pelicans, you know, pull off some amazing, uh, unexpected wins. He's going to go from that type of role to having that kind of opportunity to really none. So, I mean, that's an easy answer, I guess, picking each one more. So maybe I'll grab you another one. I'm, I hate to say it, but I think Brandon Ingram, you know, there's a lot of people that are high on him that think that he can maybe become the next something or at least a certifiable, maybe fringe all-star type on the wing. You know, because I just don't see it. Um, and it's not just the injury concerns. I just worry about, like you guys already mentioned, you know, he's got to develop an outside shot and he's done better with the ball. And my guess is the Pelicans are going to often, you know, start off the games with the uh, starters that I've mentioned, bring in Reddick really quickly, maybe like five minutes in. And Ingram's going to be the first one to sit. Because I've heard that he's likely going to be one of the main decision makers with the reserves. So that's something he kind of started showing he can do with the Lakers last year, where he can, you know, be a decision maker, a playmaker. So I can foresee that happening. But, you know, that, which is great. But again, it, he's not going to, if he can't expand his game so he can pose as a threat out the three point line with a team that's as deep as the Pelicans are, I just think that that may push his staff down. Because the Lakers didn't have too many outside of Kuzma and LeBron. It was just Ingram, right, as a, as a main scorer. And then you had Hart coming off the bench. Suddenly he's surrounded by a lot more guys. And if, like I said, if that shot's not there, his scoring's going to come down. So I could see people possibly talking about him regressing as well. Yeah, and you mentioned it a bit earlier about Ingram, of him being in a contract year. He's going to go into restricted free agency, assuming that there's no extension agreed upon. Uh, I think that... With the potential that he has and the weakness of the free agent class, that a team like like Cleveland or maybe Charlotte could potentially throw close to a max contract at Brandon Ingram. Mm-hmm. I know it's it's a little hard to predict, and it depends on this year. Obviously, if he stays healthy, but even just last year, eighteen points. I'm sorry, forty nine from the field, thirty three percent from deep. Needs some work. You mentioned the assists, rebounding. Do you worry about? happen to eventually do that and you think there's a chance that they entertain entertain the idea of getting something for him rather than letting him walk for free yeah i do i mean that i i brought that up a little bit earlier that i i wouldn't be surprised if he's given that run if things just aren't working out and if there's teams interested in giving the pelicans something of value for him that they may decide to do that um before the trade deadline because out of all the guys that they brought you know, over in terms of whether trade or free agency. I feel like he's the last, I don't want to say the guy at the bottom of the totem pole, but Lonzo brings something you need, right? Somebody to run the office and play defense on the perimeter alongside Drew Holiday. And of course, Derek Favors, you know, you need a center and he's really good guys. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but there was nobody better defending, I want to say, either right at the rim or in the three-foot circle around the rim. Nobody held opponents to a lower field goal percentage and Derek Favors last year. And that includes, you know, Rudy Gobert. So I could see that they want to maybe re-sign him and hold on to him over uh, Ingram just because, you know, you, who else are they going to turn to? Jackson Hayes, I feel like he's going to be a project. He's going to take about three years to kind of start becoming the player that we all hope that he can become because he needs to, first of all, add a whole ton of bulk to that body. And the Pelicans, you know, I, I see what they see in him. He's got the ceiling really... Is limitless because this guy, I've seen him shooting just threes and jumpers. And if you watch him shoot free throws, that form isn't bad. So he may be able to stretch a floor someday without a athleticism. You know, that's incredible. But right now, he can't even box out guys kind of half his size. I saw him getting pushed around summer league. So he's going to be working on that. So the Pelicans don't have a good option behind favors unless, of course, Julio Okafor has a second coming or something. But if he doesn't do that, then obviously Pelicans have a giant hole center and he wants Zion down there. Because there's been some people talking about, hey, throw Zion down there for, you know, the, almost a full game and have him be a point center, right? Where you surround him like you kind of do Giannis. But the thing of it, though, is you, you still need somebody that's going to bang with the opponents, that opposing centers. And, of course, you need to have a big man that can at least shoot threes like Brooke Lopez does. And Pelicans don't have that guy. So I could see them 
hanging on to favors ahead of Ingram there. Like I said, Lonzo ahead of Ingram for his reason. So, yeah, Ingram's kind of, to me, kind of at the bottom. So he's going to really have to show and prove that he's kind of a vital or a piece to uh, basically bring this new Pelicans core together to where they can have a legitimate maybe championship run or at least multiple playoff runs. I feel like that's the hope here. You kind of want to embody something like what the Memphis Grizzlies did, maybe with the grit and grind, where you may not win the championship. It may not even be that realistic, but let's at least take a franchise that's never experienced winning before. At least let's make sure they're making the playoffs every year. I feel like that would be a win. So if Ingram comes contribute to that type of model, then great. You keep them, but otherwise, yeah, you feel them out if you don't see it working and, and you, you know your money's going to be going somewhere else. And I'm afraid he, he wouldn't, he's not going to stay long as he wants. So we've identified some of the primary storylines here, all the big stuff we've touched on, uh, but we want to try to get a little bit deeper, maybe towards some things that uh, fans here and uh, NBA fans here in Sacramento wouldn't be aware of with New Orleans. We try to identify a few of those things. Uh, my co-host Brandon pointed out before the show that one thing he could see being a potential narrative that emerges is just the number of the pure number of guards on this roster. You've got Redick, you've got Holiday, you've got Hart, you've got Ball. Uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker probably will end up being a guard, maybe maybe pushed into that small forward role. You mentioned as well Etwan Moore being a six four guy, even though he's pushed into that small forward role as well. Uh, Frank Jackson you mentioned. Briefly, uh, so is that something you're concerned about? And, and uh, more importantly, are there any other storylines that maybe the, the greater NBA world at large hasn't caught wind of yet? Yeah, so, I mean, we are going to be a guard-heavy team that's going to rely on Zion and Derek Favors, you know, down low. And you're, then you're going to hope to have some contributions from the wing course from Ingram. But you're right, it's going to be a guard-centric offense. So we're going to be going small a lot. Like I said, that's why you're going to see Hart playing from small forward. Etwan Moore, maybe even Drew Holiday, which he did play last year. If you remember certain matchups, like for instance, when we played the Oklahoma City Thunder, he was out there always guarding Paul George. When we played the Warriors, his assignment was always Kevin Durant. So he was kind of our lockdown, hope or hopeful lockdown defender on all the best small forwards in the league. So yeah, the Pelicans don't—they're used to going small, and you just rattled off. There's a whole bunch of small guys on the roster who have potential, right? They can affect the game at least on one end. And, you know, with Redick and Frank Jackson, it's offensively. So they're going to try and outscore you there, and they're going to get, they're going to play those minutes in terms of uh, to where they're going to see a lot of those, you know, they're going to be outside of whatever position they're playing. So as for storylines, you know, individually, like for Drew Hawley, for instance, David Griffin thinks he could even be a potential MVP candidate. So he's very pushing him to have that type of mindset be not only a lockdown defender, not only a 20-point scorer, seven or eight of this guy, but to see if he could raise all that another level, to be a true leader of the team, and go ahead, this is your team, so take as many shots as you want, impact the game, however as much as you feel and you need, but make sure your aggressive ball is out there, and they, everyone believes that if he truly gains that kind of mindset, because the athleticism is there, guys, the tools are there, if he could just gain that, then yeah, he might even be some kind of, you know, preliminary MVP pass where he's putting up 25 points a game uh, and helping the Pelicans go winning records first month or two of the season, then you can kind of envision that. So that's the hope for Drew Holiday. Redick, of course, we've talked about his age. So there's not much of a storyline there other than can he still be reliable? Can he make it through an 82-game schedule um, uh, at his age with all the miles already he's accumulated and be that serviceable threat that Pelicans are going to need? There's going to be a lot of games where he's going to be usually just the only legit three-point shooter out there. So it's going to rely on him heavily. And as we know, last year was kind of not a breakout season, but it was by far his best uh, points from a points perspective season to where I think he averaged over 18 points a game. So we know that he's still got it in the tank, but, you know, again, can he now do that for the Pelicans? Lonzo Ball, I mean, that's an easy one, right? He's away from L.A., kind of away from his dad. But I'm hearing the bar is going to be oftentimes Still, he's either going to stay in LA or even go to Australia. Because as we know, one of his sons is going to go play in Australia this upcoming season. So, Lonzo, for the first time, is going to be on his own where the limelight's not big. Will he be able, you know, grab the bull by the horns and run away with it? Can he become, you know, everybody, whatever by envision when he's coming out of Cal? So, yeah, there's a bunch of storylines, guys. You look up and down, Frank Jackson, 
he's one of the most athletic players in the NBA. I don't know how many people know, but between his vertical, his speed, uh, he, he, he ranks as among the top in the combine. And I've heard it's only gotten better with all the training he's been doing these last couple of years. So can he take like all that athleticism and transfer it on the court to where he becomes have an unstoppable score? Uh, we saw the glimpse of it. You brought up that limited run in summer league. I mean, he scored about 30 points in about 23 minutes. And most of those points all came in the second half when he got going with his jumper. So can he do that? Can he be like Calvin Jenkins, Leandro Barbosa off the bench? And then, of course, you know, Josh Hart. I mean, guys, I could keep going on and on. But, yeah, there's a lot of individual storylines. So that's why I think everybody's excited to watch it. That's why everybody's nominating them to be like one of their favorites for a league pass team. Because it's not just on not just Drew. There's a lot of guys that have talent who either people, they either have their fans from like they do from LA for Ingram and Lonzo or, you know, you see the, the athleticism, the uh, tantalizing ability of like a Hayes or a Frank Jackson. So yeah, it, it just all looks good. And I can't wait to start writing about all this once the <laughs> training camp opens. Yeah. And going off all those guards and, you know, you're saying storylines to the bottom of the roster. Where do you feel like, I guess, starting with the stuff, we like to get what we think and our guests think the starting lineup is going to be. Um, I feel like it's safe to say Holiday, Zion, and Favors are the locks. What do you feel like the five are going to look like overall, though? Yeah, I'd mentioned that also with those three rattled off. It's, yeah, it's going to be Ball, Point, Holiday at the two, Ingram at the three, Zion at the four, and Derek Favors at the five. I think the more interesting thing to ponder is the closing lineups with this team. Because Holiday's going to be out there, obviously. I think Derek Favors is going to be out there as well. Somebody's got to be out there to protect that rim in the crunch time. I think another guy that you want out there you know, has to be Zion, right, for development purposes alone. He may not be out there for every single game in the closing stretch, like in the first two months, but overall, you've got to expect he'll be out there. So that's three. I think J.J. Redick has got to be out there. You know, defenses wake up towards in the fourth quarter, even though it's a regular season. You know, teams strive a little bit harder, so it's, it's, it's a lot harder to score during the last five minutes of the game. So you need somebody to space the floor for the pass. So it's going to be Redick, I really th- truly think. Unless it's like a soft substitution where you can go offense, defense. But for the most part, if the game's just flowing, it's going to be Redick out there with holiday favorites and signs. So this is the most interesting topic amongst Pell's fans. Who's going to be that fifth guy? Um, is it going to be Lonzo so he can push the pace, help Drew in the backcourt playing defense, or will it be Ingram, you know, for his ability? Or maybe we'll, you know, Gentry looked to go somewhere else with somebody that's hot, that's going, had it going earlier in the game, close out with him like a Moore or a Hart or a Jackson. So that's, that I think is the bigger key because I think we're locked in at the starting five, but it's the closing five that, that, that you start dreaming about. Man, that is just a surprisingly deep squad, especially for a team that has not been known for its depth in recent history. But I guess that's what happens when you win the lottery and you <laughs> trade a top five player. Uh, in the same uh, offseason, but uh, yeah, that, man, that's crazy. But let's get to uh, let's get to the some win loss predictions for next season. Uh, we have the Vegas over under. The general consensus uh, general consensus over under is thirty nine wins for this team, which I will say feels high to me personally. Just considering, and and again through the context of the Kings Pulse, you know, this being a Kings centric podcast. That is mm-hmm. higher than, than the Kings, uh, who uh, won 39 games last year, and we feel improved uh, the roster over, uh, you know, not with not just through internal developments, but through some free uh, free agent additions. 39, it, it hurts a little bit to see the Pelicans uh, projected to win more games than the Kings next season, but but let's it doesn't matter what we think. What's your take on that? <laughs> yeah, I kind of like it. I, I've been saying that they're going to win about 40, 41, 42 wins next season. So I'm right there with Vegas. What's funny is about a month or two ago, I guess it was actually right after free agents started dying down. You start seeing all these advanced models, whoever's, you know, got their own and, and uh, is doing them. They all like the Pelicans to be kind of a surprise team. I mean, I start seeing like 44, 45, 46, 47 wins. And, you know, so there's a lot of people that are hoping that, that's what's going to, you know, transpire. Not even just hoping they think it may, right? So I, I, I'm not necessarily on that bandwagon at all. I think, you know, this team, even though they've got a lot of good talent up and down the roster, it's deep. They've got good veterans, you know, exciting rookies. I think it still takes 
time for an NBA team to really come together. And I agree with you guys. The Kings now, they, their core has been together for now at least a season. Uh, and beyond that, if you don't, if you want to look past Bagley. So, yeah, I, I would probably put the Kings maybe ahead of them. I mean, all, of course, we both know it all comes down to injuries, but I think if you remove the injuries out of the equation, I like the Kings to maybe be a little bit better than the Pelicans next year. So one last question we'd like to get to with each guest is projecting a little bit further than just next season. Uh, we know you're bullish on them next year, but how bullish are you going to be on them over the next, say, three, four, even five years? Uh, it's obviously, I, I, I won't say obviously, but I'll say for me, it's a little too soon to start talking, is this a championship caliber roster in five years? But but how high is the ceiling for this team and how realistic do you think it would be for them to get into the playoffs soon and then really start to compete? Well, I think you got to look at all the NBA, like legit superstars in the past and how long it took them to lead their teams to legitimate championship contender status. And, you know, we, it took LeBron a few years. It took, you know, Giannis about four or five years. You know, he didn't really realize anything until this past season. So if you go by the way it normally pans out, they, these guys need to get their feet wet, then get their place you know, kind of start solidifying their place in the NBA and alongside their teammates. And it's going to take about three, four, five years. So if Zion is that transcendent talent, then yeah, I think the Pelicans can legitimately have championship aspirations. Because if you have one of the top, you know, one, two, three, four, five players in the league, you should have championship uh, aspirations. And if Zion does pan out, then the Pelicans, you know, they, they'll be right to think that way. But if they don't, if, if say Zion becomes a little bit less than what we think. Maybe he becomes like a Draymond Green on steroids where he, you know, he's a magnificent defender. Those steals and blocks are there. Those highlights are there. And he's impacting the game, but he can't carry you to win. And I hate to say it, but that's what, you know, he reminds me of Anthony Davis. He wasn't able to carry the team to win. If that is one big drawback to him, why we don't miss him all too much is he was never able to put the team on their back. And you've got to be able to do that in today's NBA. You've got to be able to handle the ball break down double teams, whether it's with the pass or the dribble or your shot, and AD just can do it. So the biggest question is going to be, can Zion do that? So like I said, if he can, then yeah, championship aspirations for me, I'm on board. But if he can't, then no, you're going to have to then keep on looking for like that two legit number one superstar, and Zion then is going to have to become more of a Robin. But, you know, I hate mentioning him as a Robin now, because I truly do believe in his talent, guys. I think that the world, you know, is going to be whatever he wants it to be. Um, and we know that this guy wants it bad, so it's going to be whether he can just develop all the skills necessary to be one of those elite guys in the league. Absolutely. So just wanted to thank you so much for coming on here. We'll also give you a chance to, if you want to mention anything else, you can. And other than that, we just want to make sure that everyone uh, knows where to read your stuff, knows where to find you on Twitter, all that, give you a chance to plug yourself. Oh, yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're going to be ramping stuff up. You know, as I told you, Richard, I had to attend to a lot of family issues that have kind of taken me away from writing too much this past week to almost two weeks now. So we're going to be getting back into the swing of things here soon, doing all of our previews. And, of course, you guys can catch us over at SB Nation. It's all one word, thebirdrights.com. And we're also very active on social media. You know, everybody loves all the witty stuff we put out there, both on Facebook and on Twitter. So please give us a follow. You know what? I just want to jump in here because I had forgotten about this. And, and I don't know if you, if you were part of the group that I had this conversation with over there at the bird rights, but I had said, uh, I just threw out a tweet, uh, last summer, just basically asking who people's favorite team was other than their own. Basically, you know, if you had to choose one mm-hmm. team to support other than your own, who would it be? And I said the Pelicans and I gave this little pitch about, first of all, I love New Orleans. Uh, I had I was lucky enough to spend a week there. It was some, one of the best weeks of my life, and uh, I, I love the good to know, hear. <laughs> I, I, it's I mean the food, everything about it, uh, and I also love the the jerseys, like the aesthetic with the Pelicans. I think is really mm-hmm. great, and I think now it's honestly even easier to root for them with such a um, like such a fascinating young core. But uh, did you notice that? And if so, let me ask you. First of all, let me say, anyone listening, tweet at us. Tell us who your favorite team is outside of the team that you follow. Probably the Kings are listening to this. But other than that, do you have a team that is uh, is like your second favorite? Uh, 
there's a couple of us here that uh, were either in our early 40s or late 30s, and we used to, man, we used to love the Sacramento Kings. We grew up all loving, you know, even before Bibby days, you know, White Chocolate, Chris Weber. We loved that gang, Vladdy, you name it, Doug Christie out there. So <laughs> we're actually huge fans, and we still are of the Kings, so we're always rooting for you guys. Of course, you got Buddy Heald. We were such big fans of him. So honestly, I got a list of Kings as one of them. But usually, I don't pick another team that I root for until I get to see everybody play. Um, you know, last year I kind of liked Denver a lot, but this year I don't. I don't think they're going to be my team. So it's, it's hard to say. It's going to be whoever just grabs mine. Network was another one that was a favorite of mine last year. But, you know, they completely changed now. Their look, where you know, I'm not a nervous fan, Irving fan. So who knows? But I'll, I'll get back to you guys on that. But look, we're big followers of the Kings as well. I want you guys to know that the Orange has a lot of love for the Sacramento out there. Awesome. We love to hear it. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. And uh, to everyone out there listening, we'll talk to you in a couple of days.